All right, if you have your Bible, we're going to need that. As always, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, good news, we provided one for you in the row in front of you. And if you don't want to do that, be on the screen for you. Uh, I, I say this often, the value of holding it in your hand uh, is your opportunity to see that I'm not removing anything, I'm not changing anything, I'm just, I'm just telling you what God said. If I just throw it up there on the screen, I might be able to drop a couple of things and maybe you won't notice. But if you hold it in your hand, you're holding the word of God written to you. We've been, like I said just a few minutes ago, we have been studying Daniel 22 weeks prior to today. This is our 23rd time. We're going to do all of chapter 10 today. And Daniel is uh, broken up into two sections. There is this narrative uh, storytelling, biographical section, and then there is this apocalyptic, prophetic section. And, and inside of both sections, there are visions. The difference is, in the first half, the visions are, are given to someone else, and then Daniel is given the interpretation. In this half, God is speaking directly to Daniel. And is, as is likely, and as is common in apocalyptic literature, we find ourselves trying to understand and figure out every tiny little detail. And what does this thing mean? And what happens most often is that we begin to miss out on the main thing. So this week, uh, we're going to talk about, in chapter 10, the strength for the third vision. Strength for the third vision. The third vision happens, chapter 10, 11, and 12 all together. Uh, but the beginning of it, chapter 10, is all about the strength. Let's see what uh, the resource that we've been using uh, says about missing out on the main thing. It's going to be right there in a minute. There it is. <laughs> Through centuries, preachers and commentators have scratched their heads and debated each other over each other about what the 70 weeks in Daniel represents. I'm, actually, this is the wrong one. That was from last week. I never changed that one. There was supposed to be a new quote there where he says in it that we have, similar to this one, we have spent so much time trying to parse out and identify these tiny little things that we miss out on the main thing. We try to figure out exactly what this means and what's the timeline and when is God coming back? Is, did the left behind guy get it right? Uh, you know, are there going to be airplanes that are full and then all of a sudden... All the Christians are gone. Will you be sitting with someone having coffee? And hopefully you're the one that disappears. But will one of the two of you disappear? Maybe you're sitting at the dinner table with your husband and wife. And No, no, both of you are going to disappear, right? It's unlikely that just one of you does. We get so fixated on all of these things. Like here in chapter 10, we're going we're gonna to read about a man wearing white with a gold robe. And we get so consumed over identifying who that man is that we miss out on the Jesus that all of that points us to. And it is always our goal as a church to never miss out on Jesus, right? Our values begin with that we are a group of people who are centered on Jesus. Jesus isn't just something that we do. It's not just a thing that we start our day with, but it is the center of everything that we do. We begin our day centered on Jesus. We eat breakfast, we brush our teeth. Listen, brushing your teeth centered on Jesus is very important, right? 
Because if you don't brush your teeth centered on Jesus, then you walk around with bad breath, and no one cares about the good news of Jesus that you share with them because they can't handle. So center everything you do. It took a minute, but you guys finally caught on. I was just going to keep riding that until someone laughed. Thanks, David, for laughing. Thanks for getting me out of that. Let's look real quick. So today we're going to look at chapter... I love laughing at me. Today we're going to look at chapter 10, looking for Jesus. But let's take a little quick snapshot of Daniel chapter 1 through 9. So chapter 1 through 6 are biographical, narrative, storytelling. They're introducing us to this character. They're introducing us to the character. And the reason we need to be centered on Jesus is because if we're not careful, Daniel becomes the center of... Daniel becomes this hero of faith. Daniel becomes this prayer warrior who has reached expert level of Christ-likeness. And we can never attain that. And so, Or we can see that Daniel points us forward to our hero, Jesus. To our King, Jesus. And so through this biography, we see Daniel faithful to his God, refusing food. We see Daniel faithful to his God under threat of life. He runs and prays. Not, not just goes in and makes something up, but prays and invites others in to pray. We see Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah say, we will not bow down to your statue. You can threaten our life. You can throw us in that fire. But we will not bow down. We have no other God. And they get thrown in the fire and we see Jesus meet them there. These are not the heroes. They point us forward to our heroes. And then chapter 7 and 8, we see, um, we see conclusions. We see uh, us pointed towards, on one hand, chapter 8, we see us pointed towards the conclusion of their captivity. They're in uh, Babylon. And then in chapter 7, what we see is a, a conclusion of the end of all things. Uh, we see four beasts, and one of those four beasts, he doesn't even have words to describe it. You know, the first three beasts, like, like a lion, like a bear, like a leopard. But the fourth one is just this horrifically, gruesomely terrifying beast with a bunch of horns who have new horns rising up and now the horns are talking and this is weird. But what we know is in the end, that beast is slain. And so there will be an end of all things what points us back to the vision in Daniel chapter 2 where there are all these successive kingdoms, but there is this stone cut out of the mountain by no human hands that brings every kingdom of the earth to dust. The conclusion of all things is that Jesus wins. How many of you like to cheer for a winner, right? Like, like we're all Chicago Cubs fans today, right? It's only, I've only been waiting for this for 37 years Right? And finally, I get to stand here and say, I celebrate and cheer for a winner. Everybody wants to cheer for a winner. Nathan even texted me this week and said, watching the Cubs win gives me hope that the Lions will one day win, right? Because everybody wants to cheer for a winner. So it seems logical. It seems obvious that we choose Jesus because Jesus is the winner. But then... Life starts getting real and starts getting messy and decisions made by us or against us. And 
leads us to these places. And I know I should cheer for Team Jesus, but man, I got to look out for me. Who's looking out for me? I know Jesus wins in the end, but what about now? What about today? Who's... We find ourselves maybe jumping on the bandwagon, right? Which, by the way, welcome. I saw someone post something this week that said, uh, to any of you Cubs fans who made promises uh, during uh, that 10th inning, church starts at 10.30, right? And I see a a number of new faces this morning, which is great because it seems like there's a bunch of Cubs fans who made some promises that we'll go back to church. Uh, God, if you just let the Cubs win, we'll go back to church, and now here you are, so... Thank you for joining me on the bandwagon. Trust me, there's room enough for all. Room enough for all. And then last week, chapter 9, it's confession and revelation. The last two weeks, Daniel prays. We are in captivity and bondage because of our sin. The sin was committed long before Daniel was born, but he confessed knowing that his own sin was a part of what brought them into this. And then God begins to reveal things. And like Nathan said last week, we can get bogged down on the details. And is God going to send Jesus back for his church at this time? Or is he going to do it here or there? And really, honestly, the essential truth for us is that Jesus is coming back. The timeline on which Jesus comes back is a secondary issue. Why? Because we have to live as though he's coming back. Which means, as Nathan pointed out for us last week, we have to be people who are centered on and driven by Jesus. If you've missed any of these weeks, any of these 22 weeks, you can head over to uh, cityviewchurch.tv. Click uh, under watch. There's a messages tab. You can watch any of them. I encourage you to watch all 22 of them in one sitting. Right, right? We can sit at Netflix and binge watch Blacklist until we catch up and have to watch it on the NBC app with commercials. Uh, But here's the bonus. Binge watch our Daniel series. There are no commercials, right? Check that out. All right. What's next, Hunter? I got all carried away. I like it that he talks back. Let's read Daniel chapter 10, 1 through 9 together. Uh, usually what we do, for those of you who are, are new with us, we usually read like the entire text and then go back and break it down together. But there's a lot of verses, and the longer I read out loud, the lower my reading level goes. I start out reading expert, and then I end reading like a kindergartner. So I thought maybe if I broke it down, uh, we could see what God is saying to us through this section. So here we go. Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia... A word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. This is different, different than any of the other ones before. In the early chapters, the vision is given to a king who doesn't understand, and then the interpretation is given directly to Daniel. Then when Daniel is receiving the visions, he's given the vision, but he needs an angelic figure to explain the vision. In this case, he's gotten the vision, and he gets it. 
and it is of great conflict. There is turmoil inside of him. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. Right? So there was so much conflict in this vision, in his understanding of this vision, that he was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of a great river, that is the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like braille, that's like marble, that's their, their word for marble, and his face was like the, like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes like flaming torches, and his arms and his legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words was like a mighty multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them. They fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. And no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep and my face to the ground. Right, so at the end there. Right, this is, this is Daniel's uh, poetic way of saying, because right, right, he says, my radiant appearance uh, faded. Right, so he's prettying up what happened, right? I uh, turned a, a pukey color of yellow, and then I just passed straight on out. Like, I passed right on out, fell right down to my face, hit the ground. That's what happened. So this vision he sees, and this man he sees... This is the debated part. Who is this? Is this an angel? Is this a messenger? Who is this he sees? We don't know. Uh, but the best guess is that it matches up with Revelation chapter 1, 13 through 16. So go read that. Revelation chapter 1, 13 through 16, where Jesus is walking amongst the lampstands of the seven churches. And he holds in his hands seven lights, which represents the lights of the churches. And his arms are like bronze and his voice is like that of a raging water. He's dressed in white and has this gold belt. And this gold belt would represent royalty, which points us to the idea that this is more than just an angel. But there is something royal. There is purity in his clothing. There is purity in the bronze. There is purity in the fire of his eyes. And there is something behind him with some substance, some great wealth. So we're not certain. It doesn't say, and then Jesus showed up, and when he showed up, his voice was so loud, I just passed right on out. That would have been a lot easier for us, but that's not what he said. One of the other things that I noticed as I was reading this is that Daniel was with other people, and Daniel had eyes to see what was happening. But these other guys did not. And I wonder, how often does God do things around me that I miss out on because I don't have these eyes to see? And so my prayer is constantly, God, give me eyes to see what it is that you are doing around me that I may join you. And the reason I pray that way is because often 
my prayer is, all right, God, tell me what to do. Like, I'm a doer. Like, I, I love checklists. And if you give me a checklist, uh, there's no better feeling than the check mark next to that list. And so, I mean, God, give me a list of stuff to do. But that's God giving me stuff to do. Rather than saying, God, give me eyes to see what it is that you are doing and help me join you there. And so Daniel had these eyes to see what he was doing. He understood that God was calling him to be a part of what he was doing and that was so terrifying to him that he passed right on out, right? Which, by the way, if you saw Jesus, would you pass out? I probably would. I hope so, because the guys in the Bible, when they see Jesus, they pass right on out. So I'm kind of hoping that I would pass right on out. All right, so here we go. Strength for the third vision. The gospel is this. Man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man is helplessly and hopelessly incapable of making a way back to God. And so God made a way for man to come back through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Not only did Jesus come and make that way, but he lived perfectly, died completely, and rose to death perfectly, holy, and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. It's not just that he came and made a way, but now he is seated at the right hand of God and his wounds, his stripes are interceding on our behalf. They are pleading with God for us. And all of that seems intellectually accessible, but practically it's often like, yeah, okay, cool, but now, again, checklist God, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? And, and here's the deal, God, even if I knew what I was supposed to do, I don't have the strength to do it. And so here in Daniel chapter 10, we see three touches from God to give us the strength to accomplish the things that God has set us out to do. Chapter 10, verse 10, it says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees and said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. If you write in your Bible, circle that or, or underline that. O Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have sent you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And he came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision for the days yet to come. All right, Daniel here, remember, we, we talked there in the beginning of chapter 9, he is reading in the book of Jeremiah, and he's He's counting up the days and he gets his abacus out and he figures out that math is not as complex and terrifying as he thinks, but math is actually on his side. Did I do good? All right, math is good and it's on your side. And the Lord told us through Jeremiah that we'd be here in captivity for 70 years. 
And uh, good news, looks like we're there. So that was in the first year of Cyrus. Now here we are two years later, and he has sent Ezra and Nehemiah to lead the people back to rebuild the wall and the temple. So Daniel is now watching all of his people go back home to Jerusalem. But Daniel's still here in Babylon. Now, so Daniel alone, Daniel feeling left out. How many of you have ever felt alone? Right? Felt alone in your faith, felt alone in your walk with God, felt left out because you see other people getting and doing. And I was a worship leader for 17 years before I came here, a musical worship leader. And constant, my constant battle was to stop looking at other people and the stage and the platform that God had given them. But you're not as good at, at this as I am. And you're, you're leading worship for 1,000, 5,000. And here I am with 500. And I always wanted more. I always felt left out of the things of God. I felt like God let me have a little bit. Maybe like Daniel. You, you talked to me, God, but you didn't let me go back home You left me here. I'm alone. I'm left out of the glory of building your temple. He knows the time is short. What's going to happen? And I'm so terrified about this that I can't even stand up. Jesus loved Daniel so much that he put his hand on him and lifted him from his face to his hands and knees And then he said, have the strength to stand. And why did he come and talk to him this way? Says there in verse 12, the the, the latter half of it says, you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Daniel was humble. Daniel kept in mind the words of Jeremiah. Remember, he began his prayer by praying the word of God. And as he prayed the word of God, he remembered that God told Jeremiah that when you seek me, you'll find me. But you have to seek me with your whole heart. And you can't seek God with your whole heart with pride and arrogance inside of you, right? And so Daniel humbly seeks after God. And because he humbled himself, your words have been heard. And I have become because of your words. And so Daniel was given the strength to stand. God's saying, I'm not done with you yet, Daniel. There's still more I have to tell you. It has to do with the things that I'll be doing. That's why you haven't gone back. So what is it in your life that God is giving you the strength to do? What is it that you need to stop wishing he would do through you? And get on board with what he's already doing. And he'll only do that when you are humbled. And when you are humbled, you will be heard. And when you're heard, you'll be visited. We see that right there in those those words. You want the strength to stand? How many times have your prayers started with, God, I don't have the strength. God, I don't have it within me to do this. You are going to have to do it for me. Maybe there's that sin that you just can't get past. God, I don't have the strength to do it. You're going to have to do it for me. 
Jesus saying, when you're humble, and I'll hear you, and I'll visit you. Verse 15, when he had spoken to me these words, I turned my face toward the ground, and I was mute. And behold, one with the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with the Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. So we see Daniel humbled and in silence because he knows that he is unworthy to be speaking with God. He's not calling out to God and saying, okay, God, give me the strength and give me the words to say, but he says, God, nothing, nothing in me deserves to speak to you. And so I have to stay silent. But this touch from God, that first touch that gives him the strength to stand is followed by a second touch that gives him the strength to speak. But that strength to speak does not come without the humility of knowing you have nothing to say. Think about that paradox there. I love to talk. And the only thing I love more than talking is talking into a microphone while you stand there looking, right? I love to talk. But what we see God saying to Daniel is that you will not be given the strength to speak until you realize you've got nothing to say and you have no business saying it in the first place. And when you reach that point, then you'll realize that everything you say will come from me. So if you want to stand on your own, if you want to brag and say, I've pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, I have achieved, then you and I have little or no hope of being heard by God. And if you want to say, God, give me boldness to speak that people may come to know you, without realizing that you are unworthy of speaking on his behalf, then you will find yourself ramming your head into a wall because there will be no response. And so who is your strength to stand? And who is your strength to speak? And then verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me and said, underline this, O Man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is no one who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So Daniel's given the strength to speak. But only after he's been given the strength to stand. 
And then the last one, he's been given the strength to rest. How many times, how often, when do you ever consider that you need strength to rest? I mean, resting's easy, right? You just lay down. And then that's it. That's rest. Unless you're like me and your mind won't shut off. And the troubles of today, they're only quieted by the troubles of tomorrow. Right? And then all of a sudden I've found myself laying awake for the entire night with no strength to rest. And so where did Daniel's strength to rest come? It says there in verse 20, 21, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. The book of truth are the things that God will accomplish, the things that God will do. Inside of the book of truth are the things that God has always done and then the things that God will do. The rebuilding of the temple. The overrunning of the temple. The rise of the Messiah, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Messiah, the ascension of the Messiah, the establishment of the church, the persecution of the saints, your birth, my birth, your death, my death. The consummation of all things when one day Jesus returns for his bride. And inside of that, knowing that God holds it all inside of his book of truth, you can have the strength to rest. But as long as we, there's a, there's a marriage conference coming up in Saratoga the first weekend of December. And if it is on us to go to this marriage conference and make our marriage better or fix our marriage, it's on us. If we can just go and listen and learn, then we'll put it all back together and we have no hope of ever resting because it's on us to put it back together. But when we see that God holds all things in his hands and he is as he was over Daniel's biographical section, sovereign over all things. And as we have seen here through the first three chapters of this apocalyptic visionary section, sovereign over all things, then you and I can rest in God's sovereignty knowing that my struggle to be a parent is not surprising to him. And he says, listen, you want the strength to rest? Then first you're going to need the strength to stand. And you'll never get the strength to stand until you come to me humbly. And then I will hear you and I will visit you. And you'll never have the strength to speak to your kids, Greg. You'll never have the strength to speak to your kids until you humbly realize that I give you the strength to speak. And you'll never be able to rest in your parenting without me giving you the strength to rest. As long as you think that you have to put your kid back together, Greg, 
as long as you keep complaining that you're not the one that broke them, then I'll never be able to rest. I'll never be able to stand there and say, thank you, Jesus. Put that into your workplace, your marriage, your whatever. You'll never find rest until you humbly receive the strength to stand. And you'll never have anything worth saying until you humbly receive the strength to speak. And all of that comes from knowing that God sovereignly holds all things in his hands. And in that I can rest. I'll never be able to rest in my ability to accomplish. I'll never be able to rest in my ability to do. It doesn't matter how good I am at what I do. I'll never be able to rest in that because there'll always be one more thing to do. The checkoff list never ends. Which leads us to our King Jesus. Who says that you would never have the strength to stand. You would never have the ability to be humbly heard and visited by God. Without me, Jesus, humbly leaving heaven and coming to earth and living and dying so that you could live. And you'd never, ever have the strength to speak if I didn't leave, go to heaven and send my spirit to live inside of you. I advocate for you and I give you my authority to go and make disciples and teach. We talked last week that teaching is just making an investment in people. How do you make disciples? You make an investment in people. How do you make an investment in people? Well, you rest in the fact that you've got nothing worth saying, and so God gives you the strength to say it, and he gives you the strength to stand in it. And that is what brings us to the table this morning. That our King Jesus laid down his life, that he put down his strength. He put down anything that had to do with the kingdom, and he came and became a servant and died that you and I may live so that we could taste of his broken body and we could experience the fullness of living and we could drink in the blood that was shed for us knowing that you and I would never be able to humbly be heard and if we can never humbly be heard then we can never be visited and so we drink in his blood covering our sins, giving us access to the humility needed and the ear of the king through his son, Jesus. And so the worship team will come back up and we will sing that he is good and he is peace and he is more. And I want you to sing to him that you are running to his arms, no strength of your own, but his strength. That you are heralding to the world. A herald only gets one job, and that is to proclaim the message of the king. A herald does not get to speak his own words, but he goes out. He goes to and fro speaking the message of the king. And so you and I, heralds of the kingdom of God, go out with the strength to speak his words.
and you and I lay down and rest in the fact that we don't have to put it all back together on our own. As we sing this morning, you come and you feast on his body and you drink in his blood. If you're a guest with us this morning, you are welcome to come to the table. It is the sacrifice of Jesus that makes us one church. So come as we sing, feast on his body and his blood. Thank mm-hmm. you.